TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's uh, 74 degrees and 708 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Great to be with you on a Saturday evening. Uh, we are in the process of trying to reach uh, Professor Amar Al-Azam. I have spoken with him before. He's extremely knowledgeable on the subject of ISIS and Syria and we're asking him uh, about sort of what he sees uh, could happen here. Obviously, there's so much going on in this part of the world. It is so complex uh, with obviously the Soviet Union uh, or the Russia, excuse me, um, standing with uh, Bashir al-Assad and obviously the Americans uh, indicating that they are – well, the Americans are telegraphing different things and, and different kinds of subjects. Um, and we have actually reached um, – Professor uh, Amar Al-Azam, uh, he is with the uh, East History and Anthropology with Shawnee State University, and we're hoping to join him here in just a few minutes. I do want to let you know that uh, we've got much more coming on during this show. We're going to visit with an expert on Minnesota rodeo circuit. It's a big one that's coming up in this hour. And then we're also going to talk about uh, with an expert on the cyber attack that hit Ukraine and then spread through Europe and New Jersey. Uh, and then we're also going to talk in the 8 o'clock hour about why Minnesota has the fattest cats and dogs in the country. But right now we are joined by Professor Amar Alazam. He is uh, a professor of anthropology with Shawnee State University, uh, and he is an expert on Syria. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me. All right. Let me ask you, I mean, so much has, has, has happened in this area of the world. So much is uncertain. What are some of the key takeaways of some of the most recent developments that you, you believe are, are really hallmarks and indicators of what might, what might be to come in this area? Certainly. Now, uh, obviously, the big stories that are coming out are uh, with regards to the, you know, the war against ISIS we hear from Iraq the, uh, that Mosul is all but fallen, and obviously there's the in Syria there's the big push against Raqqa by the SDF, which is the uh, the, the opposition forces uh, backed by the United States, which are made primarily of Kurdish forces with some Arab uh, tribal um, groups with them. And uh, although there's been a recent setback in the in the uh, Raqqa campaign, overall um, eventually ISIS will be pushed out of Raqqa. And that will only leave um, uh, their resort, the last remaining city in Syria. So the big question here is who will take it once ISIS has been defeated, once ISIS has been pushed out of Syria or, let's say, suppressed in Syria, who's going to take over this large um, area, piece of real estate that they controlled for so long? And this is where the real, I think, um, difficulties are, are going to come. Uh, the Kurds certainly... Well, and, and Professor, very, if I can just yeah. ask you, I mean, hasn't that been the problem in the past where, where there have been these interventions by twice the United States and, and, and there have been power vacu- vacuums that have developed, the latest one that allowed ISIS to, to really gain this power in the first place? Exactly, exactly. And if that is not addressed appropriately, you're going to create, and this is what I was going to say, and if that's not addressed properly, you're going to create another... 
uh, uh, situation that will effectively allow for the next um, version, if you will, or the next um, uh, reincarnation of, of, of ISIS Mark II or III to reemerge in the region again, because you're not addressing the actual core grievances, the core issues that led to the um, uprising in Syria and ultimately led to the formation of this very radicalized um, extreme uh, group ISIS in both Syria and Iraq. Um, and to simply just focus on one a very specific aspect of the conflict, and obviously from a U.S. perspective, that ISIS is the key issue, but then ignoring what led to the formation of ISIS is in effect going to lead to the reemergence of ISIS in both Syria and Iraq. And that's really where the core problem is. If and you, it's, and it's an yes. enormous problem. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, because I, you know, I have covered trials here in our own state in Minnesota, where young men who were on their way to go join ISIS say they were initially attracted back in 2013 and 2014 before, you know, ISIS was really, you know, everybody knew before people really knew how terrible they were. They they were attracted to go there initially because they felt it was the right thing to do to join in this battle against the Assad regime. And and so that's why they were initially lured. Of course, then, you know, we all learned about ISIS and, and it was clear that it was a terrorist organization. But what absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that is and that, is, that goes to, to, again to the core of the issue that if if effectively you allow these areas to be handed over in full or partially back to the control of the Assad regime, you're in effect recreating the same dynamics that led to the um, explosion of ISIS in the first place, with the added problem that the deep sectarian, extremely unpleasant uh, narratives that have grown around ISIS and have grown around, uh, and they're not just sectarian now, now you've added an ethnic component because of the enmity between the Arab tribes and the Kurds, so now you have Sunni Shiite um, uh, fracture lines that are opened up, you have ethnic Arab Kurdish fractalized that have opened up, and they're on both sides of the border, um, both in Iraq and in Syria. Um, so, so, so really, you have a very volatile mix, and all you're doing is creating a very temporary sort of respite, but you have no plan to address the longer-term issues that led to this thing to, to, to develop in the first place, and I think that's going to be catastrophic. I believe that the region is in for a very, very long period of instability. And then if you look even a little further, step a little further out, and you look at the uh, current um, problem between uh, between the Saudis and the Emiratis and the Qataris and Iran, it just adds to the pressure and and and, and, and the instability of the region. How, what is your take on um, the military action that the U.S. took, uh, basically with airstrikes against? Uh, pro-regime forces back in May, uh, pro-Assad forces. What has been sort of the fallout from that? And what do you think that was really about? Um, now, there's been several actions that have been taken by, by the U.S. Um, there was the first big one, and that was the airstrike against the airbase that uh, essentially it was believed the sarin uh, gas attack against Khan Shekhun, um was launched from. And Again, this really proves that, uh, for many of us who've been saying this for a very long time, that action against the Assad regime does produce results. It does 
hold them back. It does curtail their 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 um, you know attacks using internationally banned chemical weapons and the like. So it's unfortunate that it's taken so long for this kind of action to to, to occur. And I think it's important that this is done, even if it's just trying to address the issue of chemical weapons and not the wider uh, problem of indiscriminate bombardment of civilians, etc. But then there's been other actions against uh, allied forces to the Assad regime, and most recently the downing of an Assad uh, regime force jet. Um, uh, and, and that's more to do with trying to force the Assad forces and their allies, mainly the Iranians, away from the Iraqi border and prevent um, this link up that the Iranians have long wanted between Iraq and Syria, a land bridge that maintains a continuous weapons supply to their chief ally in Lebanon, that is Hezbollah, and also gives Iran access to the Mediterranean Sea. That is a much more long-term strategic interest, and it's one that the Americans have clearly made uh, a priority for them to prevent from happening. But unfortunately for the United States, it does not have the assets on the ground to prevent this. Uh, I mentioned earlier to you Deir Ezzur as the last city on the Iraqi border, but the only forces available on the ground right now that are able to take such a city are the Assad forces. And as much as this really sticks in the, in the throat of the United States, if they want to finish the job, they're going to have to let the Assad forces move, and that will put uh, Assad and his Iranian allies right on the uh, Iraqi-Syrian borders. All right. Uh, sir, we have to take a very quick break, uh, but I would like to ask you a few more questions when we come back, uh, specifically about the role of Russia. Uh about the future of Bashir al-Assad, there has been speculation now for years that, that he eventually will have to go or, or perhaps will, will be toppled. Uh, so let's talk about that when we come back. We are chatting with Amar, uh, Amar al-Azam. He's a professor uh, at Shawnee State University. It is 7.19 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We are chatting with Professor Amar Al-Azam. He is a professor of anthropology with Shawnee State University, an expert on Syria. Sir, what what do you think, uh, when, when it comes to Russia and Vladimir Putin's role here, what should we know and what should we be concerned about? Um, really, the primary concern for us is the fact that we spent, then, as we here in the United States, spent decades trying to keep uh, Russian influence out of the region as a whole. And unfortunately, for a variety of different reasons, the Russians have effectively not only managed to come back into the region, but also to come back and, and, and with a very strong role to play. Uh, the realignment of the region, the new alliances that are even now emerging between uh, Qatar and Turkey as a result of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, spat between Saudi and, and, and Qatar and the Emirates has essentially given <coughs> the Russians and, and Vladimir Putin here a huge role, far disproportionate from what they should have been able to do um, in, in the region as a whole. Uh, just for example, um, Russia now has birthing, both birthing rights and actual uh, if you want bases, naval bases, all the way from the Persian Gulf right the way around through the Red Sea and onto Alexandria and the Syrian coast on the Mediterranean. The, the, this is these are these are actual Russian bases. Some of them are Russian bases. Some of them are birthing rights, and in, in, in countries that are supposedly allied to us, like the Emirates, for example, that we consider to be strong allies of ours, they have uh, birthing rights in Alexandria in Egypt, which uh, President Trump recently was. Uh, you know, 
hosting President Sisi of Egypt and, 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 and telling us what a great guy. So the, the, the dynamics and, and, and the regional, uh, if one, the reorganization of the region and the role of the Russians in that in, in the region has grown exponentially, in part as a result of the conflict in Syria. The fact that we we have to share um, uh, operations and airspace in Syria with the Russians and, and, and the Russians openly, you know, after the downing of that last Syrian jet, the, the Russians openly said that they will consider any uh, coalition airplane flying on the west bank of the, of the Euphrates to be hostile. I mean, just the fact that they can now say that openly and, and, and threaten openly like that is, is unprecedented. And again, the uh, ability of the Russians to uh, work with the Iranians and allow, again, where you have this Iranian influence that's now spread and is very deeply entrenched in Iraq, in Syria, in, in, in Lebanon. Um, these are, you know, literally connecting Iran in a, in, in, in a direct line to the, from, from the, the position to the Mediterranean. This is unprecedented, and it, it's, it has unraveled, if you will, decades of effort from the 70s and the 60s to keep those uh, forces and powers out of the region. You know, when President Trump you know, was a candidate, when he was running, um, essentially he was running on, on very much sort of an isolationist message uh, to, to a, a, a nation that is very tired of conflicts that have uh, consumed us and where the U.S. has not really gotten a lot out of Iraq, uh, you know, there so many Americans died fighting for cities like Mosul and only to see them just, you know, a few years later taken over by hostile forces. Yet the president does seem to be um, pivoting here, uh, perhaps reluctantly, uh, in an understanding that, that the U.S. is going to have to play some kind of role. What are your thoughts about that? Um, and what do you see as an expert in this area? Look, action has consequences. Nobody doubts that. And I think the Bush administration, George Bush's, you know, the, the son's administration in uh, the 2000, between 2000 and 2008, um, demonstrated that clearly. That when you take action, and particularly when you take action that is not very carefully planned and considered, it has it can have catastrophic consequences. But also we've seen with the Obama administration, which came right after the Bush administration, which was supposed to correct that issue, which was supposed to sort of push us back into the to the normal. And there we saw complete inaction and, 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 and a total withdrawal, and in my opinion, an abrogation of our responsibilities. Well, and the infamous red line in the sand that... Amongst other... Yes, of mm-hmm. course. And, 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 but it's not just the red line in the sand. It is the whole pullback from the region, starting with that famous speech he did in Cairo, where, if anyone was listening then, we should have all known what was coming. He clearly said, you have to learn to live with each other. You have to accept that Iran has its own regional strategic considerations. You know, all of these, when, when you put them up, I mean, with hindsight, obviously, uh, everything looks a lot clear. But the, this pullback, this inaction in the region also has catastrophic consequences. The catastrophic consequences are now clear to see. The fact that we pulled out of Iraq without ensuring that there is a strong government that is able to take over and maintain 
uh, or keep, let's say, Iranian influence out out of the out of Iraq has had a huge uh, catastrophic impact. It led in part to the rise of ISIS. The fact that we did nothing in Syria allowed it to become such a morass, such a toxic, um, terrible conflict that it has spawned, you know, not just uh, humanitarian catastrophes and disasters, but also, uh, uh, you know, radical uh, Islamic terrorists. It's become a terrorist factory in, in a way, that those, those ISIS-held areas. And, you know, again, looking at Lebanon, looking the whole region has become disabled because of that inaction. So looking at, so if, you know, as President Trump comes in, he looks at this scene, he says, I know I promised an isolationist sort of, and he's promised a lot of things, which he's going to be unable. He's also promised jobs. He's also promised all sorts of stuff. But that's fine. That's campaign. But realistically speaking, when he looks at the region and he looks at the, 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 the choices he has, I can tell you that the last administration, the Obama, left him with very few viable choices in the region. And, and at best, he's going to have to try to uh, minimize, if you want, or, or, or contain the damage that has been that has been caused. And that is going to require a lot of work and a lot of input. And the idea that we can simply just continue as we were before uh, is just not um, sustainable. We're going to have to engage in that region. And maybe not exactly the same way that the two previous administrations did or did not, but there's going to have to be engagement and probably boots on the ground for the the foreseeable future, too. Is there there some leader that is sort of waiting in the wings in exile uh, that that perhaps, you know, in terms of the Syrian leadership, uh, that that could perhaps be be somebody who could, you know, change things? We, 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 we often joke amongst ourselves, as Syrians, said, um, the same revolution was um, the or- or was because of... I'm having a little trouble hearing you, sir. Sorry, I said the Syrian revolution, um, uh, you know, uh, we joke amongst ourselves and say that uh, it's the orphaned revolution. It's uh, basically uh, because it's uh, leaderless and, 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 and basically seems to lack any direction. Ideally, you know, in, 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 in an ideal world, we would have had a Nelson Mandela who would have been able to sort of step in and, and, and take over. I, I, but I think a conflict like this, because of the extreme nature, because of the violence, because of the radicalization, because of the brutality, it's really become so toxic. I think it's very, very hard to put uh, anything back together again. And I cannot even. I don't have a. I don't have a, I, I don't have a, a formula or or, or a, a vision for now anymore for what a, a post-conflict Syria might look like. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, make this as we go along. I, I think the damage is too deep and 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 has gone on for too long. But I do know one thing for sure: that as long as you keep Assad in power or permit him to exercise the kind of power that he's been able to exercise and with the uh, kinds of uh, resources he's had available. I'm thinking here mainly of the Iranian uh, uh, forces and Iranian-backed forces that are in the country, then this conflict is just going to go on and on and on. And I think a first step would be to, uh, if you will, bring down the level of violence, contain Assad and Assad's ability to inflict uh, violence on, on, on people and also 
push out or force the Iranians out of the, out of the area, then you can begin this very slow process of healing, reconciliation, etc. Well, we can only hope, sir. Um, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. This is such a, a troubling and, and difficult topic, and, and you know we can only hope that those kinds of things perhaps might happen someday. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, such a difficult situation and so heartbreaking and so many people um, so many people displaced, the brutality, uh, the refugees, uh, the lost lives, American lives, uh, Syrian lives. Uh, it's really just um, a situation that see, it seems to have no end in sight uh, when we consider it. All right, folks, uh, we are going to shift gears, and I think we probably need to shift gears here. Uh, coming up in our next half hour, we are going to talk about the active rodeo circuit in Minnesota. You know, when you think of the rodeo, you don't really maybe think of Minnesota, but there is a very active one, and there is the Hamill Rodeo, which starts this Wednesday in Corcoran. So we're going to visit with Ruth Nichols. She's a spokesperson for the Hamill Rodeo, and we're going to talk to her about the rodeo circuit here in our region. Uh, keep it right here, folks. We're going to take a quick break and give you some weather first, though. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 735 in the Twin Cities. Well, I, you know, I love this time of year because there's so much going on. There are all these festivals and county fairs. It's all leading to the big finale, I feel, which is, of course, the Minnesota State Fair. But this Wednesday, there is a very special event that starts this Wednesday in Corcoran. It's called the Hamill Rodeo. And joining us to talk about it is Ruth Nicholas. And Ruth, am I saying your name correctly? Yes, ma'am, you are. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. All right, Ruth Tell us about the Corcoran Radio and just tell us about the status of radio in Minnesota because I, I, I was not aware that this is – it's big here. I mean you think of rodeo, you think of probably Texas or Oklahoma, but I understand that there are a lot of rodeo fans right here. You are exactly right. And the Hamill Rodeo, which really kicks off Thursday night, not Wednesday night, and runs through Sunday, is the largest pro rodeo in the state of Minnesota. And we'll see – We'll see upwards of 500 cowboys and cowgirls competing, and they'll be from all over the nation. And yes, there are quite a few cowboys and rodeo cowboys and cowgirls in Minnesota. You wouldn't think that, but it's true. There's a lot of horses in Minnesota. Absolutely. And Corcoran, not that far away from the Twin Cities. I mean, just a very short drive. So uh, how many fans are you expecting? We'll see 18,000 people over five days. Wow. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. This is sort of a, this is a big one and we'll pay out. Oh, geez. I think last year when those, when, when the competition is over, we'll pay out over a hundred thousand dollars to those cowboys and cowgirls who have won, who are garnering points to go on to pro rodeos world championship, which is the national finals rodeo held in Las Vegas every December. Wow. Okay. So this starts and excuse me, it starts Thursday night and then goes through Sunday. Uh, break it down for us on, on what some of the events are, um, and it's obviously a lot of people, 18,000 fans are expected. Break us down so, some of the events that will be taking place. This rodeo is sanctioned by the PRCA, which stands for Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association, and there are 12 PRCA rodeos in the state of Minnesota. We are one of those. Every PRCA rodeo has seven different events, bareback riding, tie-down roping, team roping, steer wrestling, 
saddle bronc riding, ladies barrel racing, and then we wrap up every night with everybody's favorite, the bull riding. And those cowboys and cowgirls will compete in one of those, one or two, usually just one of those events, and then they're on down the road, down the road to the next rodeo. Okay. So our fans, you see the same events every performance, every night, different cowboys and cowgirls every night. Right. And, and you're giving out $100,000 in, in prize money? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and are, are most, you said the people are coming from all over the country. How many of these sort of major rodeos, you mentioned that there are a number of other, you know, sanctioned rodeos right here in Minnesota, but uh, it sounds like this is the biggest one, but how many rodeos can you, com- can somebody compete in if they wanted to compete, you know, or, around all, all year? You know, honestly, Esme, you could go to, this time of year, you could go to a rodeo every day. And, of course, in the off-season, which is probably October through about March, you could hit a rodeo almost every weekend. There are 600 PRCA rodeos across the nation. And right now, those cowboys, we call this Cowboy Christmas. This is the busiest (laughs) and richest time of the year because of the 4th of July. There's so many rodeos going on that these cowboys and cowgirls will compete in Hamill. Then they'll be off to, there's a rodeo in Spooner, Wisconsin that the next day, I Sandy, Minnesota. They'll be, they'll be going to Cheyenne Frontier Days. I mean, they, they go hard because it's all, it's all counted by dollars. So the more rodeos you go to, the more money you have a chance of winning and the better chance you have of qualifying for the national finals rodeo. Wow. Okay. So, how does somebody uh, apply to actually be in the Hamill Radio uh, or a rodeo? I mean, I, I guess you can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to try no. and do it." You have to have sort of a track record, don't you? Exactly. And a lot of our cowboys and cowgirls started when they were little kids. Maybe they had moms or dads who competed in rodeo. Maybe they got interested through friends. Uh, there is a really strong. In Minnesota, a really strong Little Britches Rodeo Association, which is exactly Little Britches. It's for ages four, I believe, through 18. And those kids will compete in Little Britches Rodeo. They'll compete in the Minnesota Junior High, Junior High School Rodeo Association. They'll graduate onto the Minnesota High School Association. Wow. And a lot of those kids will get rodeo scholarships that, to attend college, which is, I mean, which is a real blessing because they can pay for part of their schooling, rodeo while collegiately, and then get their, earn their degree. And I, I was not aware that there were rodeo scholarships. Where, like, yeah. how many schools offer rodeo scholarships? I don't know an exact number. I would say in Minnesota, I don't know, but I would say across the nation, a lot of them. A lot of the community colleges, a lot of the colleges in Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, as you go farther south and west where you can rodeo during the winter, the only disadvantage is disadvantage to Minnesota is you cannot rodeo during the winter because it's cold and your arenas are covered with snow. You can have an indoor arena where you might practice and hold rodeos, but a lot of those college rodeo programs are in the South and the West where you can rodeo year round. Absolutely. And I imagine, I mean, I do have friends, I don't have any friends in in rodeo that I know of, but I do have friends that do ride and and show horses. Sure. Uh, And it is not a cheap thing to own and and have a championship horse. And I imagine that is very much the case with your sport as well. I I imagine to have a a top horse, you have to have a Mm -hmm. top rider, but to have a top horse, that's that's a pretty expensive endeavor, isn't it? Yeah, you're exactly right. Especially for the tie down roping, the team roping, the steer wrestling and the barrel racing. You know, if you're going to compete at the top echelon among those top cowboys and cowgirls, your horse might be upwards of six figures. So it is not wow. a cheap endeavor. Um, and then, you know, you, you, have a, you need a trailer and a truck to haul it. 
and your expenses on the road. But the memories, the miles, the friends, I mean, it's really worth it. There's really a sense of camaraderie among rodeo competitors and even among rodeo fans. Where else can you see, you know, sort of the tip of the hat to old, the Old West and the Americana lifestyle with the Hamill Rodeo? Right, absolutely. And we're going to get into more details here in just a little bit. Let me, let me ask you, I mean, it does look very, very dangerous. Um, are there a lot of injuries? You know, parts of it are dangerous. Parts are not. Um, for the bull riding, those cowboys who ride bulls, if they were not riding bulls, they would be motocross driving. They would be jumping out of airplanes. I mean, they're looking for that <laughs> adrenaline rush, and they're going to get it one way or another, and they have just chosen to do the bull riding part of it. But I wouldn't say it's any more dangerous than playing football. There you and go. Honestly, it's in not any more dangerous than getting out of bed in the morning and, <laughs> I mean, crossing the street. You know, you, you take chances no matter what you do, but if you love it and your heart's in it and it's your passion, you, you don't worry about those chances. You just live life. There you go. All right. Uh, if, <laughs> if you want information about the Hamill Rodeo, uh, the best thing, they've got a great website, HamillRodeo.org, uh, and it is in Corcoran. It looks like uh, Thursday. It's at 730, uh, Friday, 730 July 8th looks like it's 1 o'clock on. Is that like a full day of events? On- no, there's two rodeos on Saturday, next Saturday. 1 o'clock performance is what we call family day, and all tickets are 10 bucks. So if your wallet is feeling a little weak these days and you want to bring the whole crew out, your family and your kids and the in-laws, that's the day to come. Friday, uh, Saturday afternoon at 1, then we have a Saturday night performance as well, and Sunday night too. Okay, and then for each of these days, do we see all of the events, or do you just see some events on, on some days and uh, other events on other days? You will see all the events, every performance, different cowboys and cowgirls, every performance. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and the information is there. Um, and and any, any specific, you know, instructions about sort of like where to drive or park or that kind of thing? Because you, you got a lot no. of people coming. Yeah, parking's free. We've got vendors out there, so you can have a burger or a broad or cotton candy or whatever. But I have to say, Esme, this rodeo is a not-for-profit venture. It started 36 years ago, and since it started, we've given $1.8 million back to the community through different charity organizations. So you come out, you have a good time, you enjoy your evening under the stars. That's so cool to see the stars blinking up there. But then you're making the world a better place because you know the profits from the rodeo go back to the community. Wow. So wh- where do the profits go? Right, right back into the Corcoran area? That, yes, they go to five organizations in the area. They go to the Hamill Lions Club, the Hamill Volunteer Fire Department, the John Poker Legion Post, uh, the Heinz and Ditter a VFD, VFW Post, excuse me, and then this year we've got a new organization, the Military Family Support Ministry. So it's going to make lives better for Lions Club, VFD, Legion, Volunteer Fire Department, all those people. Very cool. Okay, listen, we have to take a quick break. i got some more questions, though, for Ruth. Uh, she is the spokesperson for the Hamill Rodeo Thursday night, folks, uh, Thursday through Sunday in Corcoran. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, more questions about the Hamill Rodeo after this on News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 747, uh, 75 degrees, uh, chatting with... Ruth Nicholas, she's the spokesperson for the Hamill Rodeo, which begins this Thursday in Corcoran. They are expecting 18,000 fans uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Ruth, I don't know if you told me this, but how many cowboys and cowgirls are you expecting to take part? 
You know, I haven't looked at the list lately, but I think there's upwards of 500 on there. Wow. So okay. Yeah. And, and uh, do you have any idea or ballpark how many are, are from the Minnesota or our region? You know, I don't know either. I'd say there's probably 10 percent. Wow. So okay. I mean, that's a pretty high number. Right. And, and uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, there is a disadvantage because uh, unless you have a big indoor ring, it's hard to practice uh, here in Minnesota because of our, our, our winter weather. It, it, are all the contestants at sort of the professional level who will be competing or, or do you have some like do you have a beginner class or a youth class that are competing? No, these are all pros. You have for, for the cowboys, for the men. You have to be a member of the PRCA, the Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association, to compete. And for the women, you have to be a member of the WPRA, Women's Pro Rodeo Association. Now, wow. now you keep in mind, some of these cowboys and cowgirls do this for a living. That's how they make their living is rodeoing. But there's also a set of them who only we, we sometimes call weekend warriors. They'll hold down a 40-hour-a-week job. Wow. But then they have the freedom to rodeo on the weekends. And they'll be the ones who don't get as far from home. Maybe they've got family commitments or job commitments. They may hit two or three rodeos a weekend where the pros who are doing it for a living will hit three, four, or five rodeos a week. Wow. Okay. And, and you said this is really a year-round circuit? Yeah, you know, it slows down quite a little. I shouldn't even say quite a little bit. It slows down December, January. But in December, the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo takes place in Las Vegas, and it is the championship, the world championship for the PRCA. So there's very few rodeos that month. But actually, in January, it kicks right back up, and, and people are, are usually going hard again on down the road. Right. And as for the horses, uh, is it mostly quarter horses, or what kind of horses are, are used mostly in, in rodeos? Yeah. Almost all quarter horses for the timed events, which is the, is the roping and the steer wrestling and the barrel racing, just because of their speed and athleticism. All right. So, yeah, mostly quarters. And how about the bulls? I mean, how do you get bulls from one rodeo to another? Maybe that's a dumb question, but I just no, was wondering. That's a, that's an excellent question. Those bucking bulls are bred to buck. It's just like a horse in the Kentucky Derby. You don't take a horse out of your backyard and say, wow, I think I'm going to run him in the Derby. They are bred to buck, and the man who owns these bulls that will come to Hamill is out of Montana. Uh, it's J. Bar J. Rodeo Company, and he has a program where he owns the bulls and the horses, the bucking horses, and takes them from rodeo to rodeo across the nation. And let me tell you that those horses and bulls are treated better than some people I know because they're very valuable as well. They can be five digit, you know, they can cost five digits and six digits too. Wow. Okay. And these these are these are the the classic bucking broncos, but they are literally yeah. bred to, to to buck. I mean, yeah. they, and are they yeah, trained? Are they trained or? Yeah. You know, it's hard to train a horse or a bull to buck if they won't if they don't want to buck. You can't make them. Uh, it's, I've it's, never tried, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if you got a horse, before you can ride a horse, it has to be broken to ride, trained right. to ride. But there are the occasional outlaw horses that just can't be trained to ride. They won't. You, they won't let you put a saddle on them. They won't let you swing a leg over them. And that's where the, they come from. I mean, that's where they go. Instead of going to the glue factory, they go to a rodeo outfit that can use them at a rodeo. So, and, and you think about horses, a, a bucking horse ride or a bull ride is eight seconds at a time. And they'll buck once a weekend, maybe twice. 
So they live pretty good lives where you work eight seconds or 16 seconds a weekend, which isn't too bad. Well, yes. Now, and how about, I mean, because I know that we have a lot of animal lovers out there. I mean, are there injuries to, to them and, and to the bulls? Occasionally, just from living life. I mean, just from normal stuff. Right. But when you have an animal that might be worth that might be worth $10,000 or up, you're going to make sure that animal is well taken care of. And we always have a veterinarian on site for the entire rodeo. So that person, you know, of course, who has his degree and who is or she is knowledgeable um, is there to take care of any injuries that might happen. Wow. Okay. And, and even these bucking bulls, you said, are, are worth that much money because oh, yeah. they, they've got to be, they've got to have that in them. And so they're on the circuit too. Yeah, they're on, you're exactly right. They're on the circuit too. The, unlike the cowboys who will stay for one performance and go on to the next rodeo, those bulls and horses will stay for the entire week in Hamel, and then they'll go off to their next rodeo wherever they might be. Wow, okay. And, and you mentioned that there are other rodeos in Minnesota, but this is, this is the biggest. This is the biggest when you're counting by the purse money, which is that $100,000 that we will pay out, and by number of contestants that we have, too. So, yeah, this is the biggest rodeo in the state. Uh, and let, let me ask you this about, um, are some of these people uh, you know, on this tour with their families? Sometimes. It, it depends. If you've got kiddos, you know, for, for kids, they love to go on the rodeo road because it's fun. I mean, you're outside and you're with friends and you're with mom and dad, and it's almost like a mini vacation for them. Sometimes wow. wives have to stay home because they've got jobs or maybe the kids are really little or your kids are old enough that they're playing ball and they, you know, you can't get away. But there is no better life for a family than being on the road together. It's just, it's like a mini vacation all the time. All right, I think I can hear a horse in the background. Okay, yeah. so so and is each is each radio rodeo show sort of pretty much similar with all these different events? Yes, any pro rodeo will have those same seven events, and a lot of those cowboys and cowgirls will compete at the same rodeo, so they'll see each other from from night to night or town to town. So there there is a lot of friendships that are formed on the rodeo road. Wow. Uh, cowboys and cowgirls are independent contractors, meaning they can enter, they can choose to enter whatever rodeo they want to. So they may go, you know, to a rodeo in Hamill and then they may turn around and the next day be at a rodeo in Colorado. So there's a lot of driving involved, but it also makes for a strong sense of family because you'll see a lot of these same people at different rodeos. And what percentage are men, like, do you have any idea, like, in terms of, of the 500 or so cowboys and cowgirls that, that are planning to compete for $100,000 in prize money in Corcoran for the Hamill Radio, Rodeo, what, what percentage are, are women, I mean, cowgirls? Well, out of seven events, only one is a women's event. So okay. about one seventh of them are women. You know, that's probably a little. That's probably a little low. It's probably closer to. And that's the barrel probably racing. Probably closer to one tenth because there's a lot. Yeah, in the barrel racing, exactly. Because there's a lot more barrel racers in, than, like, say, bareback riders. Especially in Minnesota, there's a lot of horses in the state of Minnesota that, that are uh, barrel racers. Yes, yes, that are barrel racing horses. Yes. All right. Well, it sounds like a fun time in Corcoran, uh, Ruth Nicholas. Uh, anyway, so it starts on uh, this Thursday at 730, right? Yes, ma'am. We run Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon and evening, and then Sunday evening. And there's there's vendors, and we do a parade on Sunday afternoon, and there's dances following the rodeo. So we like to make it not just 
the rodeo, but a whole experience. Wow, it certainly sounds great. And uh, all the information on your website, uh, hamelrodeo.org, I believe, right? Yes, ma'am, you've got it. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. My pleasure. All right, folks, I want to let you know that uh, it is 7.56 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Your WCCO-TV time check, McCarthy Auto World, where you can save 20% off MSRP on select Buick LaCrosses. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't realize the extent of the rodeo scene here in Minnesota. I certainly didn't realize that this event has $100,000 in prize money. Uh, And you can see it right here in uh, Corcoran, which is uh, not that far away. So that'll be kind of cool to see and maybe check out. All right. Well, coming up here on this Saturday night uh, in our 8 o'clock hour, normally we have Professor David Schultz on with us, but he is taking a well-deserved break. We're going to chat with uh, Greg Scott. He is the author of Bullseye Breach about the latest cyber attack. It's called Ransomware. It hit the Ukraine. It also hit Europe and even New Jersey. What you need to know, what happened, are they making advances on this? And then why does Minnesota have the fattest cats and dogs in the entire country? We'll talk with a veterinarian. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.